I wanted to um, record something, just albeit ever so simple, um, about Mary's song. And this would be the second in our Advent series. We only have three weeks of Advent this year because we started it in December. Um, last week we looked at the prophecies that uh, surrounded the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist. And these um, prophecies came as a tremor from God. First of all, the appearance of the angel in the temple to Zechariah, you'll have a son by Elizabeth, and then to Mary, you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to a child. His name will be Jesus. And, and then the angels appearing to the shepherds. And they, uh, they declare this birth to the shepherds um, and they tell of God's greatness. And then um, when Mary meets Elizabeth, although Mary is kind of secretive, perhaps, about um, what the angel has promised, because the Bible tells us that she keeps things in her heart. When, uh, when Mary appears to Elizabeth, and perhaps she's been sent there uh, to keep out of the way, or perhaps she's requested her family, can I go and stay with my cousin, just to figure out uh, all the implications of this birth. When she meets Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth, who is to be born to prepare the way uh, for God's salvation, the baby inside of her leaps because he's filled with the Holy Spirit from his inception, his conception. And, uh, and so there's a kind of prophetic moment there. And then when Jesus is born, of course, there is a there are two prophetic moments when um, the parents take him to the temple to offer the sacrifice of the firstborn. Um, they meet Simeon, with whom God has conversed. Simeon, a man who walks in the Holy Spirit, actually, who realizes that now he's seen the salvation of God he can depart in peace. And Anna too talks about the blessing that this child will bring to the nation. So actually there's a lot of God's word being spoken around the time of the birth of Jesus. And we need to be careful not to forget how prophetic, how profound the birth of Jesus is. Well, that's enough out of that. But when God speaks in his prophecy, when God speaks in a language that humans can understand, this awakens praise. And here's Mary singing a song of praise to God. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who's mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the house of humble, uh, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Amen. What a wonderful song of praise this is. And there's no accident that there is a skill in Mary's song. It's uh, It has a symmetry, so the first part of it and the second part of it uh, match one another in theme, but the but the second part develops that theme. Well, what it, what is this theme? What is this strong central idea in this poem of Mary's? Well, it's that God is merciful on the humble and he deals with the rich and the proud and the haughty in a different way. God is merciful with the humble and in the first four verses she talks about herself my soul rejoices my spirit rejoices he has looked on the humble estate of his servant that's me uh, says mary all generations will call me blessed he who's mighty has done great things for me holy is his name and so the first part of the poem is Mary exalting that God's remembered her, that he's had mercy on her, and that she is humble. Now, this poetry works on a number of levels. Look at the way that Mary doubles up an idea. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. What's the difference between my soul and my spirit? Well, in a way, there's a parallel idea here, the same, the same thought repeated twice, which we see again and again in the Bible, an emphasis. But we have soul magnifying the Lord. The Lord is almost like a title for God, like we might say, sir, to a teacher with much greater weight, of course. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. So we see that in those parallel statements, there's a development because it's not just that Mary looks to the Lord, but she realises that he is God, the High, the Everlasting, the Almighty, my Saviour, the one who has remembered me. And so, no wonder, soul, my soul magnifies the Lord, my, my emotions, my, the, 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 my characteristics, everything that is me, worships God. But my spirit, that's the eternal part, that's the bit that God has awoken, that's the bit that God has inhabited. We believe in all believers that God comes to us by his Holy Spirit and he indwells us 
and he awakens our spirit and he enlivens our spirit and he, he marries our spirit to his own spirit. And I say it with all that humility. But that he comes to us and he gives us an eternity, a sense of our being which is an eternal being and this rejoices in God because his is a spirit of rejoicing. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. A parallel statement which develops on the first idea. Now did you notice the word magnify? Of course with a magnifying glass we can take words which are up close and we can bring them close or far away we can bring them closer to us. We can actually magnify the words. But if we take the magnifying glass and we apply it to the sun, we can't magnify the sun with the magnifying glass. We can focus the light of the sun and the strength of the sun on a given point, on a tiny point, uh, with a magnifying glass. And then, of course, we see the strength of the sun, but only in a tiny way. And language and our human minds and our human experience well, sometimes our faith awakens in us a focus and a sense of God's majesty and greatness. And when we want to magnify God, perhaps it is that we're able to focus on a point to say, oh, look how merciful God is in that he has done this thing, that he has spoken this word. And we know, don't we, that it will take eternity to plumb the depths and the, and to rise to and to to have a sense of the heights of who God is. Our magnifying glass cannot magnify God. Only perhaps point the focus on one of His many, many, many attributes. And so Mary sings with skill to the God she loves. Now she also repeats herself with sounds like humble servant and uh, later um, he's exalted those of humble estate and he has filled the hungry with good things. We're reading an English translation but praise God for skillful translators who can take the sense that God has has come to has exalted the humble has noticed the humble and filled the hungry with good things do you see that that thought runs through as one rhyming idea throughout the poem and then she uses some words to show how god deals with those who are not humble with the rich and with the with the mighty Listen to this, and, and the proud. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He, uh, the rich, he has sent away empty. The language she uses there is rather like scattering a bag of marbles, isn't it? And we hear the clattering on the steps as the marbles spread all over the place. This is the sense in which God is dealing with those who oppose his work. There is a scattering, a, a, a throwing away. 
This doesn't mean that God can't be merciful to the mighty and the rich. Jesus said, all things are possible with God. Even the rich man can enter the kingdom of heaven. However, it's when the rich and the haughty and the mighty come to God in humility, like Mary, that they can receive his salvation. Otherwise, to oppose God is to be scattered, to be thrown down, to be sent away empty. And we hear all those sounds, those sharp sounds, the marbles falling as they scatter away. Well, the first four verses talk about the personal. But then Mary rises to a sense of, if God is like this with me, then he is generally like this. That God doesn't change in his character or his nature. So, his mercy is that for those who fear him. He's shown strength with his arm. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So Mary tells a story here. And she's very aware of the, the idea of eternity, which is really to a Hebrew mind. Now, in uh, modern Western thought, when we think of eternity, we're often, uh, we're often led to think of eternity as a circle or as a sphere, that at any point on the sphere, that that's, that's a point of reference, but there's no beginning and no end to the sphere. And in a sense, that, that, is, that is true of God, that he's begotten, not made, that he was in the beginning, that he was before the beginning, that he is the source of all things, that he is there at the end, that he is eternal, that he is over all and under all and in all. This is the eternity of God. However, to Mary, to express that idea, she uses a helpful notion and it's this. Behold, all generations will call me blessed. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see that generation to generation, and all generations will call me blessed, shows the idea of time as something that begins in the past, obviously, that continues to the present and into the future, and into the eternal future. So in a way, the Hebrew mind has an idea of eternity as a line. The line that comes from nowhere, that well, sorry, that comes from God, and that extends from generation to generation, remembering a promise, a word spoken to Abraham, a word spoken to Israel, and fulfilling it to every generation in the future. Well, Mary, remember, is... A teenager, probably. Uneducated, probably. Feeling a bit worried, possibly. But as she speaks in faith, she speaks in praise. And she praises God and her eyes and her, her mind are lifted to the God 
who has had mercy on her and will continue throughout the generations to have mercy on all who are humble. And do you see that her words are so skillful and so beautiful, so inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit because we believe that his work is in all scripture because he's the spirit of truth. But do you see that her words are so skillful and so memorable that she must have rehearsed these words and early Christians must have been aware of these words because Luke is writing some 60 years, 50 or 60 years after these events. And so the song that was sung by Mary has become a song that all can sing so that all generations can call her blessed because we say thank you Lord for the way and the words with which we can magnify we can put that focus upon you and on your attributes and give thanks to you for what has been and what will be. Because this poem talks about God's actions being guided by God's attributes. So praise him. Praise him. And may praise be a garment for the spirit of heaviness. And may God open the lips of infants and children and ordain praise or strength from them. May God open our mouths so that we can pour forth praise. And we ask this especially at the time when we're unable to, uh, to sing out aloud or to sing together. May God fill us with a spirit of praise, just as he did with Mary those many years ago. Well, next we'll look at how prophecy and praise lead to personal obedience. God bless you, each one. Amen. <laughs>